the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening here on the Mighty 990, KWAM and 107.9 FM. Our good friend and co-host of the show, Ms. Veda Vance, she won't be here this morning, but I do have Mr. Jim Crowder in the building. Good morning, Jim. Hey, my friend. How are you? Doing great. And my name is Kenneth. So if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. It's that easy. And then, of course, you can always go to Facebook Live and go to the Mighty 990 Gym and shoot us a text any way you want to. Absolutely. Streaming all the time at Mighty 990. And uh, if you're not a member, you ought to join our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Uh, where you can post pictures and ask questions if uh, if you don't want to be on the radio. And that's open, what, 24-7, isn't it? All the time. It seems like every time I go to Facebook uh, or go to, I guess, my, my phone, uh, I guess, I mean, I'm a member of the group, so yep. the first thing that comes up on my phone is the gardening page, Jim. Yep, got lots of people posting, so it's uh, it's pretty active. It's a lot of fun, guys. Two six zero five nine two six. that's the number up here. Jim and I, last weekend, uh, we were judges at the tomato contest. And I got to bring this up because it was a great time, I'm telling you. Uh, and there were, what, I guess over 100 different entries. Yeah, I think somebody said 140-something entries. I didn't know I could eat, eat 140 Taste. pieces of tomato, to be <laughs> honest right. with you. But it was out there at the Ag Center, and people were, you know, bringing their tomatoes up there. And there were, uh, we had three different classifications. We had slicing tomatoes, we had heirloom tomatoes, and we had cherry tomatoes. And it just blew my mind that the winner of all of those entries was the was a cherry tomato. Yeah, and the fact that both the the professionals in this business and the people who are not in the lawn and garden business all pick the same one. The same freaking tomato. It's just yeah. it's, it's hard to believe. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but it was a lot of fun. But I do want to give a shout out to the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. I mean, they are uh, they really took care of us, Jim, and it was a it was a top notch organization. Let me put it that way. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, a week ago today doing the uh, tomato contest. But anything and everything the Memphis Area Master Gardeners do, we ought to support them because it is a wonderful group of people. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, and they're very passionate about what they do. So. Had the the largest tomato too weighed three pounds eleven ounces, which I've I've never ever <laughs> seen a tomato that big. <laughs> no, they brought this thing <laughs> in huge. here, you know, in its own little case yeah. with its own little cushion below it on a pallet. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, God, Jim, but it, it was a lot of fun though. So there again, thanks for uh, for all of that, and thanks for the Memphis Area Master Gardeners for putting that on. That was, and thanks for actually asking us to be a judge. Absolutely, on this it's, thing, it's and a I, real honor. And I love the idea that there again that a little tomato, a little cherry tomato, won the whole thing. So I got a question for you, and because I I did this this week, okay, uh, and as I was doing it, I was thinking. I know I'm doing the right thing, but I'm sure there's a wrong way to do this. Does that make sense? What I was doing, Jim, is I got some brick pavers. I saw the pictures. Okay. And I was putting those around my shrubs that are mm-hmm. against my fence. I don't have a whole lot of shrubs, but what I have back there, I just I just kind of keep it manicured and I keep it simple, right? So I was putting these brick pavers as an edging around these shrubs. Now, I've already had uh, mulch, soil conditioner, whatever as a top dressing around the root system of these plants. They've been there for about three or four years, okay? But 
I had to add a little more stuff in there to bring my mulch up to the top of this brick edging mm-hmm. that I'd put around each rub. And I was thinking, okay, you know, we we preach to people not to over mulch. Um, so here I am putting, you know, four inches of mulch on top of the root zones of these shrubs. And I, like I said, I already had some down, but I added a little more to it. I mean, so can that get people in trouble? You know, I mean, and it's not a big, you know, it, yeah. it just goes around about three foot around each shrub. In your case, no, it's not, because all of the roots that are of any importance are well beyond your pavers, you know. Uh, you're putting a, a three to four inch layer that's only 36 inches wide, exactly. maybe around the trunk of the tree. And that's not going to impact it because. Now, 95, still, and I didn't go more than four inches yeah, either. 95% of your roots are outside that. So, mm-hmm. no, it, that's not going to impact it. Where you get in trouble is around shrubs that, you know, it's if you're doing a whole bed and you're covering mm-hmm. the entire root zone like mm-hmm. that. And that's going to be my next project. That that can be an issue when you get it too deep, you know. Because a, a lot of what, you know, what we use here is, is shredded or, or chipped bark. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people use what they call this arborist mulch, which is what's when tree companies take down a tree, they grind it up and you can get it for free usually. Okay, but that's the same thing as... But mulch. No, it's not because it's so coarse. And in fact, if you get out west, they use that uh, up 10 to 12 inches deep because it is so coarse, air can move through it. Uh, and mm. and it's, <laughs> it's, it, it will keep uh, pretty much all the weeds down. Now, it's, uh, to me, not a natural thing to do. I and gotcha. It's not something that I would want. And and the downside is too. You know, when you get to arborist mulch, you don't know what's in there. Uh, poison ivy vines, diseased trees. You know. So all you're getting is ground up mulch ground from up trees. debris. Right. Yeah. Okay. But this is this is big stuff. I yep. mean, it's not pine bark size chips. Okay. This is chunks. Okay. You know, it's it's like you could build a house out of it if you wanted to. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, so, but mulch, you know, two inches normally is all you need on the root zone, and that's fresh mulch. That means, right. you know, when it starts to decompose, then you need to get that out and just replace it again. Well, and that's what got me thinking about that because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people did the same thing I did, whether, you know, they'll create an edging around their bed or around individual plants, and then you want to come back in there and top dress uh, you know, what you just did. And mm-hmm. typically you top dress with some type of mulch. And I was thinking, you know, I better, and I knew I wasn't going to do it, you know, I wasn't going to put too much in there, but I just brought this up because I, I guarantee a lot of people have done that before, Jim. And you're saying, you know, just as long as you're not going more than two or three inches at a time, of course, two inches really is all you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to bring that mulch level up to the top. Yeah. Uh, just and, for and aesthetic right. reasons. The only yeah. reason, you know, I did it. Right. And, and like, I've got these two huge oak trees in my front yard. I put rock around them and added a little bit of soil in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But because it's, you know, even though the bed is 12 feet, 15 feet wide, it's the trunk takes up the vast majority so of that. So you still knew that you weren't covering the majority of that right. root system. All out the there. roots are over in a neighbor's yard, you know, under the street, you know, so the, it's not impacting the health of the tree. Now, if you're using a lightweight mulch, let's just say pine needles, then you really don't have that issue. You don't have to worry about 
per se, the depth of the, the needles that you're putting out That's there. That's right. You know, it's still very coarse, and it air moves through it, water moves through it well, so it can be deeper, and it's going to pack down with time, too. And I've had a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, really almost on a daily basis, uh, is there a particular mulch that's better than another? Uh, and I don't think there's one that's, quote, better if you use it the right way. It just comes down to a matter of, of you know, of, of opinion, of a preference on what yeah. color do you like. Uh, there again, you know, do you like mulch over, uh, you know, pine needles? I remember years ago, Jim, you could even buy cocoa mulch. You oh, know, yeah. Which was cocoa hulls. Yes. Um, you know, so, and, and, and a lot of people like that look. Uh, you know, I used actually a product called soil conditioner this year as my mulch. And all it is is really fine ground up pine bark kind of like you were alluding to a while ago. Uh, I've never used it before. I just wanted to try it and see if it would hold in place as well as the mulch did, which in some places it did and some places it didn't. So I guess the bottom line is, guys, uh, you know, if you're creating uh, new areas that you know you want to come back and and mulch in for that aesthetic reason, which it looks great when you do it, uh, you know, just don't go overboard, uh, you know, three inches, uh, four top, uh, I believe it's going to be, you know, all you need to put down. You don't want to smother, uh, you know, the root system of the plants that you're putting the mulch around. Okay. All right, guys, we're up and running this morning. I know we've got Ron on line one. We'll get to him when we get back from the break. But if you want to give us a call, it's really easy, 260-5926, 260-5926. The Mikey 990, 107.9 FM, 990 AM, KWAM. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Mid-South Gardening. You give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. I'm Kenneth Mabry. I'm your host this morning. I got my great friend, Mr. Jim Crowder, in the studio, and we'll have Ms. Veda Vance back with us next weekend. All right, Jim, this is a question to use or not to use, okay? Um, as I was doing some work in my backyard, uh, just to kind of set it up, you know, I've got a, a fence like most people do in their backyard. And from my neighbor's side of the fence, through the little gaps in the, uh, in the slats of wood, I've got, on, a, on one end, I've got some Virginia creeper coming through, okay? And this has been going on for about a year, and I've been just, just kind of cutting it out of there, cutting it off of there on my side of the fence. But then I got to thinking, Virginia creeper is a native vine. A lot of people misdiagnose it, and they think it's poison oak, okay, or poison ivy, actually. Um, and it looks just like it, except it has five leaves instead of just three leaves, right? Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking, all right, do I really want Virginia creeper back on the on my side of the fence and, and nourish it and, and get it going back there? Or is it... You know, just I don't, you know, because... You know, I mean, I haven't. That's why I'm asking. A, a huge percentage of people are allergic to it, just like poison ivy. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, it will break me out if I, you know, it doesn't seem to bother my hands, but if I get it on my arms or anything like that, it'll break out. So uh, it's it can be just as... Uh, itchy. Uh, itchy, yeah, as, as, uh, poison, as poison, poison ivy. ivy. Yeah. So, so now, other than that, I mean, if you were not you know, allergic to it or didn't break out when you got around it or touched it. Uh, you know, I'm still up in the air on whether I like the appearance of this Virginia creeper or not. And I know it's got beautiful yeah. fall color, kind of like Boston Ivy does. 
but I'm not sure about this. Yeah, you know, the downside is on your fence, it's yeah. going to attach itself to the fence. Yeah. Puts an awful lot of weight on your fence, mm-hmm. so it will eventually bring your fence down. Um, right. It, to me, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a good plant for the typical home. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a wooded area where it can climb trees, you know, it can be a nice addition. That's one thing. Yes, but in most home landscapes, it's, it's a little too... Uh, brutal <laughs> to put out. Mm. Yeah. And then I also was thinking about, you know, any vine that I do have on this fence, uh, you know, is typically going to hold moisture uh, behind that foliage. Yeah. And, you know, that's just going to speed up any rotting process that, that's going to naturally happen anyway. So I think uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think you just answered my question. I've already cut it back. Yeah. I mean, uh, because, you know, th- for those reasons in particular. But I was, you know, thinking, you know, Virginia creeper is a, it's a native vine. Yeah. And it comes up, you know, naturally in a lot of different places. In fact, in most places that you don't want it to come up. But, you know, I, and I don't recall seeing people incorporate that gem, uh, you know, lately in, in years in their in their garden. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was just a question I, I threw out there. It's just too aggressive, you know. Native doesn't necessarily mean good for your garden. And just like natural doesn't always mean that it's just as safe or or safer to use, you know? I mean, there's a lot of organic products out there that you still better read the label. Exactly right. All right. Well, uh, uh, Ron had called earlier. He dropped off. But Ron, if you're still listening and you have a question, uh, be sure to give us a call back and we'll get right to you, buddy. Uh, The phone number 260-5926. Jim, I was reading about uh, Epsom salts last night. Uh, just kind of reading some different stuff, which is magnesium sulfate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, you know, depending on what webpage you go to, my God, if you read about Epsom salts, you think it's the best thing since the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it says that it aids in seed germination. Uh, it makes plants grow more bushier, okay? Don't know how it does that, but it, that's what they say. Produces more flowers, increases chlorophyll production. Of course, I always knew that. To make, it makes the leaves greener. Uh, deters slugs and voles. I'm gonna, I'll get to you back on that. Uh, provides phytonutrients uh, and it's a supplement to your regular fertilizer. So, you know, after reading all that, I'm thinking, I mean, is this the best kept secret in the world or is this just, um, you know, another web page that might be really pushing a product that doesn't really do all that? Well, it depends on where you are, you know, particularly if you've got soil that's neutral or slightly alkaline. Epsom salts, which can we be a, typically don't we have don't around here, here. right? Yeah, uh, it can be a nice addition to for azaleas so that you can grow them. Um, but here, um, particularly in Midtown, the old Mid South Garden Guide yeah. had a, a recommendation of Epsom salts, and actually we saw especially uh, around boxwoods, didn't it? Well, yeah, but we saw azalea gardens where people had just as part of their fertilizer program, put out Epsom salts every year. Gotcha. And got in there, and the pH was down so low that the fertilizer was absolutely worthless. So we had to go in and lime the azaleas to get the pH back up. But now, but the Epsom salts didn't bring it down, did yes, it? Yes, it, oh, it did. Yes, it okay. did. the sulfur, the sulfates, and that brought it down. So just at doing that year after year after year, you know, it, it got the pH down to in the four, four and a half. And because we have some aluminum in our soil, then your nitrogen there gets locked up. You know, you feed it all you want to, and it can't get to that nitrogen. So you got to get the pH back up to fix that. So it's a, it can be a nice supplement, uh, you know. But it's not one of these things that you would go out there and use every two weeks no. or... 
Yeah, uh, maybe once a year, Jim. Yeah, or, especially on peppers, tomatoes, and roses. I yeah, mean, and things were, you know found that stressed plants seem to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your boss, Ferd Heckel, recommended something many, many, many years ago. This goes back, I don't know, thirty years or so, of using. At that time, we used a, a tablespoon of a water soluble fertilizer like uh, uh, Miracle Grow. Right. We used a tablespoon of Epsom salts and a, te- and a teaspoon of Super Thrive. You know, I since have added some things like root stimulator to mm-hmm. it to get some indole three butyric acid, mm-hmm. um, but th- it seems to. Well, I've seen it turn around some plants that mm-hmm. just thought we're going to die. Okay, you know, so and, it's not uh, a product that you would never use. It's just not this product in in I guess in the mid south. Uh, that could really be, you know, a game changer, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, uh, because honestly, after reading this thing, and then I read where it helps uh, deter uh, insects and, and voles, V-O-L-E-S, and I'm like, there is no way that this thing is going to deter a vole. That, that one, would, they'd have to prove that one to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> Same here. And even even when it comes to insects, maybe, you know, if you're sprinkling Epsom salts on a slug or a snail. Yeah, I get that. I'm guessing if you drop the bag on them, you might <laughs> that'd be about it. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, you know, we all know what a mole is. A mole is the one that tunnels through your yard, and they've been horrible this year. And, and, and then the vole, you know, the V-O-L-E, uh, it's like the little meadow mouse that actually gnaws the roots off of your plants. Uh, and I don't like either one of them, but I think if I had my choice, I'd rather have a problem with moles than voles. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, moles can tear up your yard, but a vole can tear up your landscape. Uh, and I just thought that that's what caught my eye when, it's, when it said it could help deter uh, insects, and it said voles. And I'm like, I've never in my life heard that, and I didn't know if you'd ever heard I, that either. I had, and I'll try to do some research. Well, and I did, Jim. I tried to do some research and couldn't find anything where it yeah. said it helped deter voles, except in this one article that said it did. So yeah. if anybody yeah. knows if it does, be sure to let us know. I, I'm real leery of articles unless they come from um, somebody that's got a Ph.D. behind their name or something. Understand. So many of them are just, they're written by good writers, you know, who have research teams that look up this stuff, and they don't question any of it. They just put it out there as if it's true. You know, I told you, like, uh, I think we may have mentioned this last week, that I'd seen an article just published in Newsweek about how houseplants take toxins out of your air. You know, and that... It's not exactly true because mm-hmm. it's it's all based on research that NASA did when they put plants inside of a sealed capsule yeah. to see what it would do, and that doesn't it doesn't carry over to homes like that. So, um, but there they have, I've read many articles right. that there are certain house plants that help purify it, the air. And it in sounds your house. good. I mean, it sounds professional, and you there's no reason you would not believe it. You know, it's just not true. <laughs> now, and maybe if you you know created a jungle environment, well, in your yeah, house, if you, but if, no you know, if your house is totally sealed, yeah, okay, and they're not. No air is coming in or out. Um, you know, then all you'll end up doing is just breathing the the volatile organic compounds in the air, you know, <laughs> and you'll die from that. So, <laughs> so honestly, Jim. So when you we read these articles, and and people do pick out particular plants uh, for that reason to mm-hmm. help purify the air in their home. You're saying, you know, just enjoy the house plant as a house plant because it's really not going to do not that. Not helping much. Mm-mm. You know, people are getting tired of your myth busters. I'm I know, you. I know. But I'm but I, I think they're very intriguing. In fact, I was reading about some myths 
uh, the other day. You know, Jim, and I did see the one where you said, uh, you know, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to put four or five inches of gravel in the bottom of a container before you put the soil in there. Yeah. Uh, and it took me forever to completely understand that. And he mentions it so often, I'm not sure he really no, believes no, it No, no, I yet. do. <laughs> I, I get it now. So, yeah, you, you proved me wrong, I promise you. All right, guys, we're up and running this morning. If you want to give us a call, it is really easy, 260-5926. 260-5926. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 1079 FM, KWAM. The number is 260-5926. Give us a call this morning. What's that number again, Mr. Jim? 260-5926. It is. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live, uh, Mid-South Gardening, and shoot us a, a question, which a lot of people do there. Uh, and then you can, like I said, give us a call, 260-5926. Jim, a lot of stuff going on uh, this time of year. And, you know, most of it's just more maintenance, I think, than anything. But uh, one of the things that people do a lot of planting, if I can say that word, this time of year is putting down sod. Uh, whether it's Bermuda sod or zoysia sod. A lot of that going on, of course. Um, and I've I've had the luxury of not ever having to go out there and sod a large area of my lawn. Uh, you know, I know there are people that go out there and have taken out half their lawn and resodded because, you know, over the years, the trees grow. If they have trees in their yard, it creates a lot more shade where the Bermuda used to be. All of a sudden, the Bermuda doesn't grow there because it's just not getting enough sun, so they'll convert it over to something like zoysia. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that there's any prep work involved at all when they're putting sod down. And what I mean by that, I've seen people go out there with the weed eater. I've done it. Jim, and go out there and just, <laughs> there you go, case to point right there, and just weed eat down as close to the ground as they possibly could, and as long as it was level, and come back and put sod down. And then I've seen people go out there and try to scrap and scalp every bit of grass that they had existing out there and start with just good, fresh, you know, soil with dirt. And then I've even seen people go out there and till, uh, rake it smooth and come back uh, and put the sod down. Uh, I mean, but, I, you know, what's your take? I mean, I don't want people to not be successful when they're putting sod down, whether it's five pieces or whether it's 500 pieces mm-hmm. that they're putting down. Well, you know, as an expert, I should tell you that you should go out there and do the proper soil prep, and that's either soil aeration, core aerator, something like that, right. to loosen that soil, um, put your sod down, and then, you know, just keep it muddy for a couple of weeks, two to three weeks, yeah. uh, <clears throat> and it roots in real well. Now, I can also tell you that grass is tough, Yes, you know. Um, I just recently laid about 25 pieces of, of palisade, and I did exactly what you said. It, it, it's the strip between the sidewalk and the and the street. And when you say palisade, you mean a variety it's of zoysia. Palisade zoysia. And why did you pick palisade over the other types of zoysias that are out there? Well, it uh, was readily available. <laughs> okay. okay, that's the main most important reason. Um, you know, it had been Bermuda when we moved in, and like same thing. So many trees cases. had gotten mm-hmm. huge now, and so. It just was real thin on it. So anyway, I took the weed eater, went out there, and just scalped it down to the ground, put the sod in on top of it, watered it, and it's rooting in nicely. And did you you didn't have to put a like a, a, a layer of topsoil I or compost have. or anything down? I right. didn't. I mean, that's what you recommend. I get that's that. Right. 
But uh, uh, but you, in this case, you didn't have to do it, and it, it rooted in just fine. It's rooting in just fine. You know, the key is making sure that you just keep it muddy until you can't pick the corners up. And, and the deal with side, Jim, a lot of people are confused when it comes to Bermudas and zoysias, even fescues, because uh, typically those are the three dominant grasses that we find here in the Mid-South. Uh, starting with Bermuda, uh, typically Bermuda, I don't care what variety it is, whether it's a hybrid or whether it's even common Bermuda, uh, as you know, Jim, it's going to need, you know, five or six hours of good, strong sun. It just yeah. it, it just needs it. I'm not saying it, it won't. I usually tell people if you're not getting eight, consider yeah. zoysia. Well, that's why I always tell, well, at least six hours of good yeah. sun. And then, uh, you know, there comes zoysia. Uh, you know, zoysia loves full sun. I mean, that's where it wants to be. But it will tolerate less sun than the Bermuda will. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, there are quite a few different uh, varieties uh, of zoysia on the market, well, especially around here. You typically hear of common zoysia, which is Meyer zoysia. And then there's Palisade, like you just mentioned, Jim. Palisade is the one that we typically carry at Dan West Garden Center. Um, and then there's Royal and on down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess the big difference, uh, other than, say, appearance, which has made the big difference on these types of zoysias. Um, you know, some of them have a water blade. Some of them have a very fine blade now. In fact, it looks like Bermuda, the yeah, one that's I actually call Royal. I have the pathway in my cutting garden is done with Royal zoysia. Yeah. Because it does look just like Bermuda. But they, but even, but even, I agree, but even zoysia needs three or four hours of good sun. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, they hear that zoysia will tolerate shade. Well, what does that mean, right? Um, so just always remember, you know, six hours of more sun for Bermuda, three to four hours of sun or more for zoysias. Now, if you have a situation, Jim, where you're not getting at least three or four hours of sun and you want grass to grow, then your choices are either to get in there and thin out some trees to create more light, especially, you know, create enough maybe for zoysia, or plant what? Fescue. Yes. And if you're ever going to plant fescue, you know, typically people do it by seed. Uh, And fall, of course, in my opinion, is the best time to put the uh, fescue seed down. Early spring is the only other time that you can really do it and be successful. But I've also heard of people putting (laughs) zoysia, I mean, uh, fescue sod down in the spring. And to me, I'm not saying don't ever do that, but I would much prefer to put the seed down in the fall uh, when it comes to fescue because... As you and I both know, out of Bermudas, zoysias, and fescues, fescues are going to be the most problematic. They do not want to be here. They don't want to grow here in the Mid-South. And they do look great now in the fall, the winter, and the spring when it's cool, right? But in the summertime when it gets hot, you've got to keep fescue watered. You've got to keep it cut high if it needs to be cut. Uh, and, and know that you're going to lose some fescue every summer just because of the heat, so you overseed it every fall to perpetuate, right? That's correct. So, I mean, what else can you do, Jim, when you're talking about shade in particular? Well, you know, I'm, my first recommendation is always to consider something other than turf grass because, you know, how many times have you walked through the woods and seen turf? Never. Right. And, you know, it's just not something natural. Um, you would be much better off with a ground cover if you don't want to do beds or something like that, or just mulch the area, Mm -hmm. you know, kill it all with the real thin stuff with Roundup, Mm -hmm. mulch it, and that's healthier for your trees. 
Uh, and that's and that's a good option. It but, looks good. But there is something to be said about growing grass in the shade where it typically just doesn't want to naturally grow. Yeah, people want grass. You know, my wife, although my grass through the years has really gone down, you know, my wife wants some turf. So, you know, we've got the front yard, about half of it has, uh, has Bermuda and about half has zoysia. Uh, which is, you know, and you do that because of the amount of light you do or don't get, correct? That's right. Yeah. I originally put down uh, El Toro, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, at the time when we put it down twenty years ago, that was probably the best thing on the market. But it was it wanted a little more shade tolerant than the common zoysia. Yes. 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 The El Toro was. Yeah. Not as you know, Palisade really wasn't much in production then. Um, and it was a good grass, but it was really prone to winter disease. Mm-hmm. If water ran through it, you mm-hmm. could count on getting dead spots. And so yeah, I ended up having to put a, a fungicide down in the fall and usually again in the spring. So you were being proactive. Yeah, just to keep that El Toro alive. Uh, so in later years, this palisade came out, and you know I plugged some in, and and it's taken over most all of the areas in the yard that are shaded. And I love that zoysia. I mean, I really do. It's, I do. It's, it's, it's a, wider know, blade. It is a little wider than the yeah. the miter, the common zoysia. Uh, it's a little more shade tolerant than common zoysia. It is. And and now, and when I say more shade tolerant, it would tolerate a little less sun than a lot of the other grasses out there. Now, don't get me wrong; it still loves full sun. That's right. Does great in full sun. You know, that's one of the things, mistakes people make. They think, well, I can't plant zoysia here because it needs shade. Well, it, no, it doesn't. You know, it tolerates shade. Yeah. And there's a, there's a world of difference. So, I, like I said, I know there's a lot of that going on as far as, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, sodding this time of year. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, you know, it never hurts to do a little prep work uh, before you lay that sod down. And the other thing is try to get that sod as close together as you possibly can. You don't want these big gaps in between the side because anytime you go out there and start really tilling an area up, raking it smooth, Jim, as you know, you can bring up weed seed that can lay dormant for 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, all of a sudden you start seeing these weeds come up between these pieces of sod that you just put down two weeks ago and you're wondering, where did all these weeds come from? So that's not really that uncommon. That's why you do want to get them in there as tight as you possibly can. And then, like you said, Jim, just keep them watered uh, pretty moist for the next two or three weeks. And once you get a good root system anchored in, I mean, it's just growing grass. It's pretty darn easy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, hopefully that'll help people out that are out there thinking about putting some sod down this weekend. Guys, anything going on in the garden, going on in the yard, uh, questions about insects, disease, trees, shrubs, anything in between, you can surely give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And then, like we always say, you can go to Facebook Live uh, under the Mighty 990 and shoot us a uh, question that way. In fact, I'm sitting here reading, Jim, some texts that people are are texting in, uh, mostly about how great I look on camera. So keep that in mind. As, uh, as our producer is laughing back in the other room. Are they looking at the same thing I am? <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're being funny. When we get back, Jim, we want to talk about a few insects that have been running people crazy uh, this year and a few insects that are running people crazy as we speak. Uh, but if you want to, like I said, give us a call, guys, 260-5926. 260-5926. And also, at some point this morning, I know we talk about this all the time, uh, I want to get back into the mole and vole business that we talked about a while ago. All right, guys, we'll be right back after these messages. 
Hi, Tim Van Horn here. I hope you're having a great weekend. Join me bright and early Monday morning, 6 to 9 for Wake Up Memphis right here on the Mighty 990. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Mid-South Gardening right here on the Mighty 990 AM and 107.9 FM. If you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. And we do have Ray, we've got Bernice, but let's go to Mr. Ray first. Good morning, Mr. Ray. Good morning, guys. I didn't know if y'all had heard, heard or seen very many army worm stories this last week. Uh, we've had, you know, three or four customers call us, and we've had to go treat for army worms, and uh, that's a little bit unusual. And, and Ray, explain to people is. listening, you know, when, when you say the word army worm, usually that's not just one. They're out there by the tens of thousands marching across, oh, yeah. you know, across people's yards. So, I mean, if, if someone goes out in their yard today, what are they looking for? It moving. <laughs> they're, they're moving everywhere. And they we've actually seen them crawling up the side of people's houses. Yeah. Uh, it was just it was just wild. Uh, you know, the other day, one time I went to, it was just... They were crawling up the back of this lady's house, and they were all over. They were just all over the yard. It was just, it was just wild. They were, they were somewhat smaller than normal, but uh, they, uh, they were everywhere. And, and you're saying, Ray, that you typically don't see them out here, um, pe- eating people's yards up this late in the season. No, it's a little early for the I, fall army. Or a little early, early. yeah. Early. That's what I say. They're smaller, and so yeah. it's earlier than normal. You know, normally in August is when we see them, but. They can they can devastate a lawn in just no time flat, and, and they'll move right over to the shrubs too. So yes, they will. Unbelievable. Well, Ray, y'all keep your eyes open, buddy, and uh, I'm sure this is just the beginning. You know, and you know, some years we get by, and we don't see that many. Other years, you know, it seems like we see them all over the place. So this could be one of those years. Yeah, and it's all usually all at once. And it seems like we get a lot of it in on new side. I don't know, you know, why it's so bad on people that have new side, but it's. Uh, and, and do you have you ever noticed, Ray, if there's a preference between Bermuda or zoysia? Uh, usually, usually Bermuda. Yeah. I, you know, zoysia. It, it, the only thing they want to eat is weeds. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, see the, you'll see the weeds sticking back up there after they've devastated the lawn. You know, it's, but it's, it's weird why they won't eat the weeds, but they'll eat the grass. You know, down to the nubs. But I just wanted to warn everybody to you know to start looking. Yes, sir. Well, Ray, appreciate the phone call, buddy, and appreciate the heads up too, sir. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Um, and Jim, you know that's um, uh, you know the army worm. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw a few pictures in the last two weeks where people are showing what's this caterpillar, you know, and uh, and that's what what they are. They're army worms. And like I said, typically you don't see just one or two of those. You have them by the thousands marching across. Your lawn. Go out there about dusk, and it looks like your lawn really is moving. It does. I mean, because and they're just eating it up. So be on be on the lookout. And the reason I asked Ray if uh, if if he saw there's a preference between Bermuda or zoysia, uh, I've I've actually had people tell me that have had both grasses in their lawn, and it looks like they march just like Ray said right through the Bermuda. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost like drew a line between the Bermuda and the zoysia. Talking about the caterpillars, and just ate the Bermuda. Uh, and didn't touch the zoysia. Yeah, it's real high in silica content, uh, and it's not as easily digestible. <laughs> well, so, isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> so now, if, let's say if you do go out there, uh, and other calling, you know, professionals like Ray to come out there and, and you know spray your lawn. Uh, if you do have an a, uh, a outbreak of, uh, you know, the the army worms, Jim, 
Uh, I guess you could go out there and either spray to control uh, to control the armorworms, or put out granulated products. Yes. Uh, to control, I guess anything that would that has worms, army caterpillars, uh, on the label, uh, it should control them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's you know Dilox in the form of a dry, or BT, or you know acetate or bifenthrin, any of yeah. those in the form of liquid. So. Just be on the uh, on the lookout, guys, for army worms and munching on your yard because I promise you, it doesn't take long for them to march right through there, and they're eating every green stem you have in your lawn. Yeah. So. Now, and don't panic now if you you know you come back from vacation and your lawn's brown from them eating it up. If you hit it with water and hit it with fertilizer, it usually will come right back. Okay. So don't just, you know, freak out. That's right. I mean, it's not like it's dead, dead. But, right. you know, a lot of people don't want to see that either, so yeah. to be honest with you. All right, Jim, I told you we're going to talk about other insects in general. Uh, and there's three or four that I wrote down. One was the hunting bill bug. One was the uh, the webworms or the tent caterpillars. And the other one was bagworms. And I know that we have touched on all three of these in the past. Uh, but just like the uh, the army worms, uh, the bagworms are the ones that are really prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. And that is a caterpillar that's actually typically on your evergreens uh, eating like it has never eaten before. Uh, and that could be cedar, cypress, juniper, usually the needle-type evergreens. But they will hit Japanese maples. They'll hit just about anything. So you want to, you know, don't... Uh, don't think they won't. Yeah, and if you see these little teepees, these little cocoons hanging off of your uh, your evergreens, and you're noticing a lot of brown in your arborvitas, or you know, as an example, and you do have bagworm, uh, bagworms, Jim. What do you what do you recommend? What do you do? Because I can tell you what I've done before. Yeah, t- the quickest thing usually, if you see that you've got them, uh, is to use something like a systemic like asafate. Uh, it's a great product. We'll control them quickly. I now, love it that does, product. It does have a few limitations on what you can spray it on. You like know. you can't use it on Japanese maple. Exactly. Example, right? uh, so there you'd want to use something like BT or right. spinosad right. uh, on those. But acephate systemic, it gets in there. And the nice thing about that is uh, the e- there are eggs being laid inside that bag. And even if you, as soon as the mother gets poisoned mm-hmm. it will attach its <clears throat> attach itself to the tree mm. and try to become a moth so y- the eggs are still that's what they turn there. into are moths that's right. right it's a night flying moth it's yeah. you know not something pretty um so your bag will not fall off you'll actually physically have to take it off um but you want to make sure that when those eggs if they start to hatch and have another generation your plant is still protected with a systemic, mm-hmm. so as soon as they start munching, they die. All right, so if you see bagworms out there, uh, you can pick as many as you can off, put them in like in a Ziploc bag, make sure you zip that bag up before you throw it in the trash can. If not, they'll crawl right back out. And go out there and spray Jim with BT, spinosad, uh, permethrin, or even the acephate that you're talking about. But be on the lookout for bagworms this time of year. Because uh, they are really bad out there. In some years, we see them more than we do others, and we've seen a lot of them this year. So keep that in mind, guys. All right, I know we got to go to a break here in a second, guys. Uh, I'll kind of give you a heads up if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926, the number up here. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live, the Mighty 990, Mid-South Gardening, and shoot us a text that way. Uh, Mr. Jim, we'll be right back. Mr. Allen, thank you, sir. Uh, 260-5926.
the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead, Mr. Jim. Welcome back. Give us a call here, number 260-5926. 260-5926, guys. Uh, you're listening to Mid-South Gardening. My name is Kenneth Mabry from Dan West Garden Centers. I'm Jim Crowder, and I am the, um, the sole administrator one. of Mid-South Gardening Facebook group, which we hope you'll join. Mm-hmm. And we have some exciting news, too, for y'all uh, in about two weeks here. You're going to see us go to our new expanded three-hour format. We will be on from 6 to 9 every Saturday morning, so we're looking forward to that should, are you sure about that i'm fairly positive should start the first week in, in august if they get all the satellite stuff because we're also going to go into syndication that day that would be a lot of fun this is going to be cool we're going to be on uh we in chattanooga i think and maybe little rock and four or five stations in mississippi so we're excited to uh, bring this madness to a larger group of people. Yeah, and I like the way you just said that. <laughs> and like we said, if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, of course. And then we also had, Jim, a couple people text in on Facebook Yeah, Live. i got some good questions here. Uh, the Mighty 990. Uh, the first one's from Randy Turner. It says, I have zoysia grass in my daylilies. Can I spray with image to kill the grass? No. No, because you can safely use image on zoysia grass. Yeah, it won't hurt your zoysia. It won't touch the zoysia. So if Randy has got zoysia grass growing in the daylilies without going out there and digging every sprig of zoysia out of that bed. Um, okay, your first option is to get one of these little three-inch paint rollers and just roll it with Roundup. That's going to be the most effective way to get rid of it. Now, you're saying roll just the zoysia. Just keep the it zoysia. off the daylilies. Right. Won't touch the daylily. Won't matter if it drips to the ground because it's not root absorbable. But if you'll just get one of those little paint rollers, mix it up in a bucket, and just go I've in there and okay. roll it. Yeah. That's the easiest and most efficient way. Now, there are some grass killers that we use, a post-fusillade, um, like over grass the top, be gone, grass over be the gone. top, yeah. these type things. And they're real good at Bermuda. But zoysia can often metabolize it and come out of it. But I have used it repeatedly before it, you don't let it green up. Give it a dose about every 10 days or so, and I have killed some zoysia in my Without hurting the daylily. Without hurting the ornamentals in there. All yes. right, so Jim, those products like Ornamec, Post, High Yield Grass Killer, Over the Top, and then the ready-to-use uh, Grass Be Gone, they're, all, they're not the, exactly the same product, but they no. do the same thing. Right. And they kill a lot of grassy-type weeds in and around ornamentals. And, and they're fairly safe. Shape. Now, you want to read the label, you know, just to be sure. But, like, a post is approved for use over wildflowers to take mm-hmm. grasses out of it. So, I mean, they're relatively safe for your ornamentals. But you're not going to find zoysia on that label, correct? No, because technically it's a desirable yeah. uh, plant. Yeah. And, um, in, 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 like I say, on the fusillade, commercial fusillade label, there is a rate to apply to zoysia to take Bermuda out of it mm-hmm. without harming the, uh, the the zoysia. Wow. So uh, you want, you you can goose it enough, you know, o- with multiple applications okay. to kill it. Okay. Uh, cause just because it can't produce any food and eventually starves. But, you know, to me, Roundup is, is a much better option, much yeah. cheaper to gotcha. use. You don't have to worry about the oil, and the oil is critical for mixing with these over-the-top top type products because they break down in sunlight very quickly and then if you don't mix an oil with them you're not going to get any results really okay all right 
Well, Randy, hope that'll help you out, buddy. Keep you from going out there and having to hand weed, uh, you know, every sprig of zoysia that's in those beds. And that's always been a problem, Jim, from you yep. and zoysia getting into the beds. Uh, and then we had another text. Uh, and I'll tell you what, let's go to Kim first, and then we'll get to uh, Miss Judy. Hey, Kim, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning, young lady? I'm good. It's good to hear both of y'all. Yeah, and I tell you what, we were talking about, you know, in the first uh, 15 minutes of the show about the great tomato contest that was going on here in the Mid-South, and yes. and I was a, uh, a judge there, and Jim was a judge there, so I think I've had my fair share of tomatoes for the rest of the summer, Miss Kim. <laughs> I, I'm sure you have. I don't know how you distinguish after a few, because... I think you would get confused on the flavor, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, it's... So I we mean, had we had crackers to eat between them, and I went oh, through okay. about four it, boxes. Yeah, and there's, you know, <laughs> and water, you know, to wash your mouth out. But uh, it was pretty amazing how, you know, it, even towards the end of the judging is when we did the cherry tomatoes. Yeah, uh, and how do you decide that... Cherry tomato is the best. Well, is it just one bite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or half of a half of a tomato, you know. But you know, we had a a, a piece of paper in front of us, and we would write down uh, what we thought about every sample uh, that we ate, and whether it was a sweet, acidic, uh, you know, a firm, mushy, whatever. The color, the, the shape. The color. I mean, so you know. there's a lot of different factors. But as far as the true taste, uh, Miss Kim. It was amazing how, to me, because I like a, a tomato that's somewhat acidic. I don't like them really sweet like some of the heirlooms are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just stood out above all the other ones. I don't know. And we all picked, uh, four out of five judges picked exactly the same tomato to win it all. That is something. That really well, is. But I, you sometimes talk about bragging rights. I wanted to brag about the tomatoes here. You know, I bought Arkansas Traveler and Jetstar from you. Both of them are great. Yes, ma'am. The Arkansas Traveler is so wonderfully sweet to me this year. Now, and let me say this also, Miss Kim. I've never in my life eaten a bad tomato, okay? Right. I mean, I love them all. Don't get me wrong. But, I, I mean, if I had my preference, I like one that has a little bit of bite to it. But in particular, the Arkansas Traveler, like you're talking about, that is a really good tomato because it, it actually produces even when the nighttime temperatures are really hot. Uh, that's why I love that tomato so much. Did you see the... I sent you and Jim and Veda the picture of one of my big ones. I did. Saw that. Very and, impressive. I seen it yet. That was a whole meal. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I've grown Arkansas Traveler sometimes in the past. Yeah. But this year it seems extra good to me. Yeah. And I told Eddie, I don't know, early in the season in May... I went around and dropped a scoop of, I won't name it at the risk of some commercial, but I, some supplement that I take, but it tasted so awful. Mm. So I put them on the plants because I didn't want to waste it. Right. <laughs> and I said, Eddie, what if these things never uh, dissolve? He said, well, they probably will with time, and right. I think they did. And I don't know if that made it sweeter, but it really seems good to me this year. Well, and you also grow your tomatoes in containers, don't you, Miss yes. Kim? Yes. Uh, and, you know, so basically, I mean, you start out with the, just a good potting soil. You go find the good tomatoes, and we appreciate you buying them from us uh, like you do every year. We bought the potting mix from you. Yes, year. ma'am. And then you, you make sure you give them adequate sunlight, you water as needed, and then you also feed your tomatoes like you're talking about. 
um, so you're saying, I mean, overall, it's been a good year uh, when good it comes to... Good tomato year. Yeah. Not good for some other things, but good tomatoes. Well, Lord. and like I tell people all the time, if you, I mean, the true bragging rights come with the tomato. I mean, you oh, can right. grow... Yeah, you can grow the best cantaloupe, the best squash, the best cucumbers in the world. That really means nothing to people. You start growing some really good tomatoes, then you got room to brag, Miss Kim. Oh, well, I have a missionary friend in Mongolia, and his reply to that one of the tomato pictures was, he said, that is a grand prize one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, and I just really wish you could have entered some of your tomatoes into the tomato contest this year. I mean, who knows, Miss Kim, you could have come out the, uh, the grand champion. I don't, I don't know. You know, we're over here in West Memphis, and nobody will give me a driver's license. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. No, it, it could be because you can't see very well. <laughs> Zero. But, and the bridge situation and all. But we have a good time doing what yeah. the Lord has called us to do over here. Well, we all love right. you to death, Miss Kim, and we love seeing your pictures and reading your texts. And always, uh, always keep us in mind when you start eating these really good tomatoes, okay? Yes, yes. Well, we love you, and have a great uh, weekend, Miss Kim. Kim. Y'all sound good. Thank you, babe. I appreciate it. Uh, and that's Miss Kim from uh, West Memphis. Uh, what a wonderful lady. And I tell you, I've seen pictures of her garden, and she's completely blind, as you said, Jim. Yeah. And she, uh, it's, it's amazing what she can do. She, I mean, she, she really gets it done. Yeah. We had a couple other questions here. We had uh, Judy Wood ask about pH meters. I wonder if these $15 pH meters are accurate enough to um to be to be depended on and the answer is yeah they really are you know i've got one that i've had for 25 or 30 yeah, we're years talking about just, and i know we only got a couple minutes jim but we're talking about just the old handheld yep. uh ph tester you right. stick the probe in the ground it gives you an instant reading on the meter right now the two things you gotta it's important though is one you gotta clean the tip of that thing it's tin i think and you have to get that oxidation off and it comes Otherwise, with a little rough little sponge right. that you that you use and if, if you don't you're going to get the same reading in every hole you put put oh, yeah. it in well we'll expound more on this when we get yeah. back we'll uh, be right back after these breaks you are listening to mid-south girding right here on the great kwam the mid-south's conservative blowtorch the mighty 990 kwam And welcome back. This is Mid-South Gardening, and you're listening to KWAM, 990 AM, 107.9 FM. Yes, sir. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And that's exactly what Mr. Jamie did on line one. Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you. Hey, Jamie, uh, I don't know if you heard the first 15 minutes of the show. We were bragging about the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. I know you're one of those members, and how wonderful... What a great show that was. I mean, the tomato contest. Uh, y'all really have, I mean, it was top-notch. I just all I can tell you. So we appreciate the effort and the work y'all put behind it and, you know, and inviting me and Jim uh, and, uh, you know, some other people to come in there and be a judge. We had it easy. All we had to do was taste the tomatoes. Y'all did all the work behind the scenes. Well, thank you. You may be giving me too much credit or whatever, but there's a lot of people involved in this thing. And, uh, of course, Kim and uh, uh Debbie and, and uh, Jenny and and then uh, all the volunteers who came and helped us. So oh, it was, uh, it's a team effort. It really is. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And you know, the tomato contest to me is a, is a big deal because there again, like Miss Kim was talking about a while ago, you know, that's some big time bragging rights when it goes when it comes to the tomatoes. 
Jamie. Uh, what's the next thing coming up with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners? I mean, is there, other than, you know, all the information y'all put out there, uh, you know, is there anything that's coming up with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners? Is that going to have to wait till next year? Well, I'm sure there's something coming up, but I just, I've been so concerned with tomatoes, I hadn't, I haven't <laughs> been pushing anything else much. But anyway, one of the thing I, one of the thing I wanted to talk to you about was, and we, we're going to talk to every judge who has, has been through this thing, yeah, and see if we can't find a better way and a quicker way to, to go through this. Uh, because, you know, even if you'd like, if you're eating ice cream, after about 90 bites of ice cream, <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to about, just about all taste the same. So, we're, well, we're trying to. We're going to get a hold of every judge who has, has judged with us, yeah, and see if we can't find up a better and easier way to do this. See if it can't be streamlined just a little bit. Because I'm going to tell you, after about I the think you just solved it. Half tomato didn't have a bite of ice cream. <laughs> 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 Jamie, after about the 120th sample of a tomato, and I love tomatoes. I was like, okay, I'm getting a little tired of these well, tomatoes. I, you know, I know, <clears throat> I know. and uh, <clears throat> well, uh, we would too. But anyway, we're just trying to come up with something easier, better, uh, better way to do it. And so, now, anyway, it was great. I had fun. And, and Kenneth, how about that sandwich? Oh, it was the best ever. I'm just telling <laughs> you. And it had tomato on it. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, Jamie, we really had a great time doing it. I'm serious. A lot of fun and just really good people all around. I'm telling you. Well, we want we want people to have fun when they come out there. And so, and and so far, we've been able to to accomplish that. So anyway, we had Mr. Starnes out uh, twice, mm-hmm. and so anyway, everybody just had a good time. And uh, anyway, okay, the people who judge these things with you, with you two, y'all are here native Memphians. Uh, but anyway, we had one lady from the, the judge was from Tiffany County. We had one from Brownsville, mm-hmm. which is a Haywood County, and then we had uh, Ben Z- Dieter, who is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and and think what are the odds? Think about this. Of all the tomatoes that we had, ninety entrants. I know. Now y'all tasted ninety different tomatoes. Mm-hmm. What would be the odds that <laughs> four out of the five would pick one particular tomato as being outstanding? I never thought. I never thought that would ever happen. Ever. Ever. You know, but like you said, what are the odds? I mean, that little cherry tomato, that thing must have been something special. I can't even remember now. You know what it was, but. You know, all the tomatoes were good. All of them are. There's no such thing well, to no, me as a bad tomato. I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. There were a couple that were just <laughs> gosh awful bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, they were. <laughs> yeah, there was one that tasted more like dirt than it did a tomato, but maybe one, Jim. But, Jamie, we did have a great time. And, yeah, we'll get together well, and see if there's any way we can streamline the uh, the tasting part of it for next year. Well, we're going to talk to all of y'all and see what your ideas are and what we might could do better. So, all anyway, right, thank y'all so much for being a part of it. And, uh, and we love talking. And thank you for helping us promote it, too. We only had six, seven weeks yeah. uh, after the University of Tennessee said we could do this thing. So. Yes, sir. But, anyway, 90, 90 entrants, which has made us uh, really, really happy. And we just look for bigger and better things for it. Perfect. Jamie, I couldn't have said it better, buddy. And have a great weekend and tell your miss, your wife, Miss Jan, that we said hello. Thank you, buddy. You Thanks, man. Safe. Yes, sir. Uh, and that was great because Jamie was instrumental in yeah, creating the, this whole thing. And going back to Judy Wood's question about pH meters, um, we talked about you know, how important it is to clean the tip of that. But also remember that if you're applying anything to change your pH. Which it says she's trying to do that, Jim. She said, I'm working to lower the pH around the blueberry plants. Right. It, it may take multiple applications because 
you have to know your buffer pH. You know, we've talked about here how Mother Nature doesn't like you to fool with her soil. Right. And the soil can buffer when you add something to lower the pH. It, it offsets that. Now, and, and the, how, the only way that you can know your buffer is to pH. have it tested so because you, you'll see ph and then you'll see buffer, buffer ph and, right and you're saying you need to know you have to offset that buffer and then add more to lower your ph or raise your ph whichever you're doing so you know we tell people that 40 pounds of lime will cover a thousand square feet and change it about half a point right. but that's just an average right okay because if you don't know your buffer ph you could put down 40 pounds and it not change it at all. I got you. Sometimes okay. you might have to go heavier than that. Right. So it's important that you recheck. And typically, I tell people every 45 to 60 days, check it. Okay. It's going to take lime up to two years to totally work in your soil. Okay. Wow. So. All right. Let me ask you about Judy's situation, though. She's trying to go the, re- the opposite. She's trying to bring that pH down. Right. Around the blueberries. So she's going to be using something like granulated sulfur or, right. what, aluminum sulfate. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a preference, Jim? I, mean, I think most sulfur, people would go with sulfur, right. Sulfur is cheaper. It takes about six times as much aluminum sulfate as it does sulfur to get your pH down. Gotcha. So granulated sulfur or even uh, dusting sulfur, yeah, either one. Either one. But you're saying apply the sulfur, come back in about a month. Or five weeks, is that right? And yes. test it again. Test it again. And then it's going to take probably repeated applications of sulfur to bring that to pH down. down. Because yeah. according to uh, Judy, the, the young lady that texted in, uh, she's got blueberries out there, and the pH is around 7. Well, you and I both know that's way that's too way high too for high. blueberries. Yeah, you know, it'll tolerate down at 4.8 or so. So, you know, you're going to have to get that pH down to get good blueberries. All right, and sulfur would, you know, is you by can't far go the wrong best that way. way. To do. Um, but, and Jim, is there any particular, I mean, would you just do like a good heavy salting around each blueberry? Because you're not going to overdo it, are you? You're not, If particularly since you know your pH. You know, look at the label rate, and then you you could easily double or triple that rate because you, you're going to have to bring it down low. And then, you know, give it 45 days or so, and then check it again, and then see if you need to bring it down even further. And make sure that you're testing the soil down at, Inch and a half, two inches or so, that's where it's going to be. Not six or seven inches not deep. Not six is or what seven inches and not right at the surface. Okay, okay. Two, two to four inches. That's right. That'll get you a good reading on your, your average pH over that area. All right, but you can lower that pH, Absolutely. even though Mother Nature doesn't want you to do it. But, but in this case, uh, Mary needs to do that. Right, you can. All right, guys, I know we've got to run to a break here in just a minute. We've got Marion on line one, and we also had another text from Mary and we'll get to this after a while. I said, just, I just used a strong weed killer uh, on my lawn, uh, and of course, to kill the weeds. And I want to fertilize. Is it too late to use fertilizer for my lawn? So she's saying, is it too late to go out there and feed her lawn, even though she has just put down a strong weed killer to kill the weeds? And we'll get into that also. And then if you want to give us a call, guys, it's uh, really easy, 260-5926. And we also say, you know, if you don't want to call in, uh, you can shoot us a text on uh, the Mighty 990 on Facebook Live. Uh, it's always right there. And anytime during the week, you can go to our Facebook group and give us a question. And uh, you can ask me. I'll answer it. And, but we've got, you know, a thousand experts on there who will help you with it. And if you want a question from Kenneth or Veda, I'll make sure they read it. So there's no reason not to get a good answer for any question that's out there. 
All right, guys, we're up and running. We've got to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. Give us a call, 260-5926. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. And welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. It's a Kenneth and Jim here this morning. Beta, our good buddy, is off this week. Mm-hmm. She'll be back next week. She will. If you want to give us a call, Jim. But numbers five. Two, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. 260-5926. And, of course, you can always go to Facebook Live uh, and shoot us a text, and we've got a couple texts that we'll get to. But first, we're going to go to Marion on line one. Marion, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, my question is, I have some Mondo grass that uh, a weed-type grass is growing in it. Yeah. Is there a product that I could spray over it and not kill the Mondo grass but kill this weed grass? Yeah, well, a couple of questions. Um, first of all, I have to ask: Is the mondo grass considered established? Does it have? Oh a, yes. Okay, it's been so it's for several years. Okay, and then secondly, Marianne, are we talking about grassy type weeds that look like a grass, or broadleaf weeds that have a leaf on it? I mean, a, and a broadleaf w- weed would be like clover, and then a grassy no. weed would be like you know Bermuda. No, it looks like uh, a grass. Okay, uh, yeah. but it's not Bermuda grass, right? I don't think it's Bermuda, okay. no. All right. Um, we don't have Bermuda anywhere around, so I don't think it would be Bermuda. Okay, but a grassy weed, Jim, growing in Mondo. Yeah, things like grass be gone. If, if you don't have much to do, it's a ready-to-use product that's got fusillade in it. Grass be gone. You can spray, it right, over, spray uh-huh. it right over the top, and it'll kill any grassy-type weeds, okay, right. without hurting your Mondo. Okay, that's uh, now, great. If you, if you have a lot of it, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a product made by High Yield called Grass Killer. Right. And that's a concentrate that you can use. Now, with the cat one, you're going to have to mix an oil with it. So if, if you buy it, make sure that they sell you a spreader sticker yeah. to mix with it so that it um, it it breaks down in sunlight. So with, that, with the spreader sticker, it keeps that from happening. So you're saying, Jimmy, and for Marion, if she's got a large area, then to buy the concentrate, right. mix it with water, mm-hmm. and make sure you add that surfactant to it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a whole lot, uh, then you can buy a ready-to-use product just called Grass Be Gone. Um, I think uh, Grass Be Gone would be about the size I need. Yeah, yeah. and it's easy, Marion. It's just you know, a ready-to-use, spray oh, it right out of the bottle. 24-ounce oh. bottle, and, uh, you know, you will do. You can do a 100-foot row with it yeah. easily. Yeah. It's, okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Marion. Have a great weekend, my dear. And, Jim, the reason we were asking Marion whether it was a grassy-type weed or a broadleaf <laughs> weed, let's say if there were broadleaf weeds growing in your Mondo grass, uh, we know that those products like Grass Be Gone, over-the-top, high-yield grass killer, post, ornamec, those type products will not kill broadleaf weeds. They're typically just for grassy-type weeds. Mm-hmm. So what if you had broadleaf weeds growing in your Mondo? Then image would be your answer. Yes, an image is a product that we typically sell for people to use in their lawn. I mean, that's what it's mostly used for, to kill grassy weeds, sedges, and uh, broadleaf weeds in a, an established lawn. But it's pretty unique that there are some things you can use image directly on or around, mm-hmm. uh, different ground covers and so forth, uh, Mondo grass being one of them. So uh, that's why it's important to know what type of weed or what classification of weed you're trying to kill 
uh, when you're trying to kill these things in ground cover. So keep that in mind. All right, we did have a text also from a young lady, Mary uh, Calvary. She said, I just used a strong weed killer on my lawn and want to fertilize it. Jim, is it too late to feed my lawn uh, this time of year? No, absolutely not. You can feed it three or four more times, you know. And, and typically, and even though she just used a weed killer, do you wait until you start seeing a dieback on the weed? Well, or does that don't irrelevant? Know, don't know which weed killer she used. Right. Okay, but it probably it's going to be okay to go ahead and do it. Um, sometimes, if you get a lot of rain behind a weed killer, um, it it if you it's might a broadleaf weed again. killer, it may not work as well as you want. And if you fertilize, it'll just make the weeds grow more. Uh, but if if everything has gone according to Hoyle, then uh, just you know go out there and fertilize. You know, and, and, and let's say typically speaking on a on a common Bermuda or zoysia lawn, uh, you're using a lawn food that typically has a good bit of nitrogen in it this time of year. And what comes to point uh, to my mind is like Fertilome lawn food. Okay, classic lawn food or Fertilome lawn food plus iron. Uh, and an example of the analysis would be like a 2404 or 2804. That first number is going to be your nitrogen. Uh, and that's usually going to be a high number. But, Jim, out of that, let's say, 24 to 28% nitrogen, not all of that is a quick release, correct? No, very little of it actually is a percentage is going to be quick release. So maybe 2% is going yeah. to break down really fast to give you immediate results and but that's then mostly they're just to make you happy yeah exactly <laughs> you know, and then the so other 22 like percent that's in there is more for a a, a long lasting a slow release type nitrogen right. uh zero percent phosphates why jim around well, here it, here it's not as big an issue because phosphorus doesn't move very quickly through clay but when you get into sandy soils and parts of the country phosphorus is easily leached out. Okay. Uh, like if you throw phosphorus into your compost pile, it'll go through it pretty quick. I got you. Right out the bottom. Uh, so phosphorus can get into the water system, and that's what gives you the green algae and all that. So, so. It, it's just a lot of times you're over-applying yes. that phosphates when you're feeding your lawn. Right. That's and, why I'm— And high phosphorus can—I mean, it can help stimulate flowers, but it also can cause you some issues. Um, with iron uptake, for instance, if you get a high phosphorus, uh, plants have trouble t- uptaking iron. So you have to— It's amazing. Yeah, you don't want it to get terribly high. Uh, and the phosphate is going to be the middle number, that's the middle number. Uh, in a lawn food. So let's say there again, I'm going to give that analysis like a 2404 yeah. or Most Most plants like about seven times as much nitrogen as phosphorus and potash. With grasses, they like about a 711. I mean, that's mm. a good ratio. So if you're getting a 2433 or 2403, yeah. yeah. that's perfect. That's what grasses like. And what's that last number in the long Well, feed? that's your potash, and it's going to help build stem strength. It helps build disease resistance. Okay. Uh, helps improve your root system and, and nutrient uptake. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's a crucial macronutrient for your plants. And let's say, you know, through the growing season on Bermudas and Zoysias in particular, because that's mostly what we have around here, you're always going to have more of that first number, that nitrogen. Now, let's say, excuse me, come fall, uh, late fall, even early winter, uh, there are what they call winterizer fertilizers out there. And it's going to have a lower nitrogen content, let's say like a a 10% compared to a 24%. But you are going to see more of the potassium in there, Jim, the potash in there. As as a winterizer, yes. For hardening off, we'll see some of that. 
Um, and what we've also seen is, particularly with potash, if you'll apply a couple of pounds per thousand square feet of potash in the fall. Which is the it, last number. Right. Yeah. It really lowers your posi- your turf's susceptibility to diseases during the wintertime. Wow. Yeah. So like things like a brown patch. Take all uh, patch, even, all that stuff. Yep. Even spring dead spot. It seems mm-hmm. to help prevent that. So applying a more of a high potassium fertilizer in the fall. Right. Not only is it good for your grass. But you're saying there's other benefits as yes. far as even maybe prohib- prohibiting some of the fungal activity that you get in the fall. Yes. <clears throat> well, there you go then, Jim. All right. Well, Mary, hope that helped you. Uh, so, yes, ma'am, go out there and put that lawn food down. Uh, and you're by no means too late to put the lawn food down, Jim, on Bermuda and Zorch. Yeah, get it down now. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And Jim, I know we got a couple minutes before we go to the break. Uh, you typically come in here uh, to the studio every Thursday, mo- Friday every Friday morning. morning. Friday morning. Uh, yeah. And did y'all discuss anything yesterday morning? We did. We had the, the young guns took over yesterday morning, and you know got through Tim Van Horn out the door, uh, and and they did an excellent job. I mean, really great. A lot of the people that are behind the scenes here yeah. uh, were on the air yesterday morning, so it was, it was really good. But yeah, we we talked a good bit about houseplants because so many of them are in apartments, and right. and it's more of their thing than growing maters. <laughs> Exactly. So, <laughs> okay. You know, so, yeah, we had, a, we had a great conversation. I enjoyed being here with them. Well, when we get back from the break, uh, we would definitely will discuss uh, what are the things that people should be doing to their house plants, yeah, potentially. Yeah, house plants. And the, I want to talk a little bit about defeating your koi this time of year, too, because uh, it, it can lead to some problems if you do the same old, same old every single day. No, you definitely have to talk about that because yep. you've got my attention. All right. Now, okay, I got some questions for you then, Mr. Jim. All right. And also, uh, there's this thing called a mealybug destroyer. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Which is a fuzzy little thing that climbs up and down the trunks of your crate myrtles. Yep, it's the larva of a little mm. black ladybug, okay? But it's often mistaken for scale and mealybugs. So, yeah, so we need to just touch on whether that's a good or a bad thing that you see out there. Yes. And what's the difference between that and the horrible crate myrtle bark scale, mm-hmm. Jim, that we see so much on our crate myrtles? So, those are a few things we'll talk about, guys. But like I said, you've got about 15 minutes. You can give us a call, 260-5926. And, of course, we'll be right back after these messages. The Mighty 990 KWAM and Mighty990.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Mid-South Gardening. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. We've got about 10 more minutes. And, of course, you can always go to Mid-South Gardening on Facebook Live. And then, Jim, if they miss all that, uh, they can listen to the podcast later on. Uh, you were talking about two or three things, and I know we've only got just a little bit of time, but let's say houseplants, for example. Uh, is there any do's and don'ts that we do or don't do with houseplants, particularly this time of year, Jim? And Because houseplants are a big deal trying to bring the outdoors indoors, especially people that have studios, apartments, or whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, m- most important thing is right now is to continue fertilizing uh, once a month or so. Usually with a liquid plant food? Well, it, usually okay. that's what people will use. I mean, you can, put a, you can do Osmocote, you know, but... 
it osmocote requires water to break it down and typically you're not watering your indoor plants as much as you are your outdoor plants gotcha so it it's a little slower working but it does work okay but you can use either granulated like osmocote or a water soluble like schultz plant food yes big now, bloom grow I big any of those prefer to use some of the organic things in containers which would uh, be big bloom yeah yeah if you ever notice uh, this white crusty stuff forming around the the drainage holes or around the the soil line around mm-hmm. your pot those are soluble salts mm-hmm. those come from water soluble fertilizer okay gotcha. basically and they can they're absorbed into plants and particularly plants like dracaenas mm-hmm. are very susceptible to damage from those they accumulate in the margins and the tips of leaves so you get brown tips so on you get burned yeah but you're not going to find that in most of your organic you don't liquid get plant that, foods that's right you don't get that salt build up like okay. that and it's still a good idea to once or twice a year you know, fill your water, fill your tub up with water, just warm water, and set the plant in there down just below the soil line, yeah. and let it sit in there for a few minutes, and then pick it up. And You're kind when of it leaching does all that, that stuff. it just pulls all of those salts, bad stuff, the salts and stuff, out of the soil, okay. and gets you started fresh again. And what about taking house plants out, Jim, and washing, let's say, potential dust off the leaves? Yeah, that, that's always a good idea to you know, get the dust. Doesn't hurt, off of right? It. No, not at all. Yeah, you know, it's important. You get them back into where they were okay? okay you know plants are very sensitive to changes in light particularly things like ficus mm-hmm. you know you can move them from one side of the window to the other and they start shedding leaves like mad like they don't like you right anymore. so you know it's important you put it right back where it was and as the sun is changing now beginning to go back down you may need to move your plant a little bit to the right of a window or left you. of a window so that you continue to get good light on them uh, and spin them, you know, uh, once a week or so, so that they get uniform light around it, uh, so they don't grow towards the window. Gotcha. Um, okay, so spinning them, uh, and how often, Jim? Twice a month? I, yeah, once a week. Once a week, okay. Week. That's, that's probably fine. It depends on how rapidly they're growing. And keeping them um, hydrated. Keep them. You know, uh, right. not... not don't well, water thoroughly when you water. You want to saturate that entire root ball, and then you can let water sit in the saucer for 20 minutes or so after you're done That's so you right. can back siphon. But then pour that off. Get that okay. excess moisture off you of there. You don't want them sitting in water. Well, and then a good fertilizer program, like you said, feeding them, uh, depending on what, you, right. what you're using. And, and then, tell you, you on know, there. keep an eye on them for bugs because, you know, you will get insects on them. Uh, and I like to use things like the imidacloprid granules because it'll give you three or four months control. And that's so easy. You're just yeah. sprinkling those granules on top of the soil, watering that product in. And like you said, really four to six weeks, uh, you know, good coverage yeah. as far as insects in general. So those are just some guidelines that you people should and could use on house plants, house plant maintenance this time of year. Right. All right, Jim, uh, what about feeding the fish? Okay. Because well, a lot of people the, do have koi in right, their backyard. As, as the water <clears throat> temperature rises, uh, fish don't process food as efficiently okay so when you if you're feeding a lot of people like to feed inexpensive foods like catfish food to their koi well they don't process that and they will pass most of that through into the water which will can foul your water particularly if you've got a heavy koi load so koi are picky eaters well they're not so much picky but they don't that you need to use a good quality for, uh, fish food okay. this time of year and back off your feeding. In fact, a lot of times the real koi devotees won't feed their fish when the water temperature exceeds a certain amount. 
So wow, they'll be fine. I mean, you know, we let them go all winter without feeding. So wow, okay. Um, you just want to be careful because you can get bacterial gut infections from that unprocessed food and have fish drop on you. So you want to be very careful. Now, that's not necessarily from the food they're eating. That's from the food that they're bypassing into the water. Then you get bacteriums in the, in the water that they're in. No, you'll get a back, you'll get bacterial gut infections from unprocessed food that's in their gut. Okay. Yeah. So it is food they're eating then. Yeah. So, you know, feed them a good quality food. If you're feeding them twice a day, maybe back off to once a day. How often uh, are you feeding yours this I time I feed mine once a day. Once a day. Yeah. that's uh, I go out usually about 10 o'clock or so. And, and I feed, I have a, a high percentage of very young fish, so I feed mostly flake food. Uh, and then that I have... floats on top, of course. Right. And, and then I have um, a pelletized food for the larger ones that are in there also. Now, could you use the same food for both of them, Jim? Well, or? the pelletized, even though it's a, it's a small pellet, yeah. is still, still too big for some of the fish. Okay, for the small Because I've got some very small ones And you make there. sure that you don't overdo it. That's right. Only what they can eat in two to three minutes, and it should be gone. You know, and, and again, you can go out and feed them again in the afternoon if you need to, if you're feeding them a good quality food. But you said food. typically you don't even have to do that. You don't though. have to do that. So yeah. out of so the, what to take out of this, because I didn't know this at all, is first of all, make sure you use a high-grade fertilizer, I mean a high-grade fish, fish food. food. Right. You're not wanting to use just the cheap stuff we throw in the pond for carp and right. catfish. Like and e- and even at the Botanic Garden, they, they turn off the feeders. You know, so they don't feed the fish during the heat of the summer. Because many years ago, they had a serious bacteria infection get into the guts, and they had a significant fish dial. Now, do you have to go in there, Jim? Because I know you've got circulating water, and I yes. only got about two more minutes. And you've got filters. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have to go in there and change the whole water out and no. start over? No, never. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, don't do that. In fact, I built the filters so that I don't even, there's nothing to change in it. Uh, there's no filter media because it's all done with bio balls and nitrifying bacteria. So water just constantly flows through it. The only thing I have to do is occasionally reach in there and pull out any leaves that may have fallen into oh, so the filter. You, keep it, you try to keep it as debris-free as you can. I, I try to, but, you know, I've got this huge crepe myrtle that sheds yeah. bark and leaves oh, sure. and stuff all the okay. time. And it's it has a high tannin content, so my water is a light brown. And, you know, the first six months or so, I thought, you know, I really want to clear this up, but now I've just decided I'm going to live with it. You know, if I can see the fish, looks good. Well, those are good things to know about feeding. I say I had no idea about, well, I've never, you know, grown any koi. So you're saying don't overfeed them, uh, don't overdo it, uh, use a high-quality soil. I mean, I see that thing about yeah, planting. You, use a high-quality fish. <laughs> fish food, Jim, right? Uh, and you should be just fine, especially if that water's circulating and you got good pumps out there. Right. All right, guys, hopefully that will help you save some of your koi and not actually go out there and kill your koi this time of year. It's been a good time, Jim. Uh, Veda be back next weekend. You can come by Dan West Garden Centers, uh, one of our sponsors, of course, Palladio being the other, and then Bonide Corporation. They make really good products out there for the average uh, lawn and garden. And we'd like to thank Alan. Jim, like to thank you as always. And we'd like to thank our listeners. So we'll be back next weekend in the garden. <laughs>